1: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Premium Brands Holdings Corporation's second quarter 2021 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press Star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press Star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. George Parlego, CEO and President of Premium Brands, and Will Kaludic, CFO of Premium Brands. Thank you, Mr. Parlego. you may begin.
2: Thank you, Christy. Welcome everyone to our 2021 second quarter conference call. With me today here is our CFO, Will Kaludic. Our presentation today will follow the deck that was posted on our website this morning. You can also access it by clicking on the link of our press release issued this morning. As we've had some technical difficulties this morning, I will give it 60 seconds to allow you to download the presentation, which is on our website, dated August, 2021. We're now on slide 5, which outlines key highlights for the quarter. Despite the many challenges facing us, we reported excellent results for the quarter and year to date. In general, food service demand came back strongly during the quarter and is now running at or slightly ahead of pre-pandemic levels. Also, our meat snack, charcuterie, cooked protein and sandwich platforms are performing well and are ahead of plan. Our seafood platform, which includes Clearwater Seafood, had an excellent quarter and delivered record results for the quarter and year to date. We are very well positioned to capitalize on favorable consumer trends in both retail and food service. We have invested heavily in seafood over the past few years and our assets, people and products are best in class. We very much look forward to reporting back to you on our various growth initiatives in seafood as we go forward, we're now on slide uh, six. As you can see, our acquisition pipeline remains very active and robust, and we expect to complete many more transactions in the months and years to come. We're now on slide seven. We're very pleased to issue our second comprehensive ESG report titled Healthy Planet, Healthy Food, Healthy People. We're committed to meeting or exceeding our various goals and objectives stated in the report including achieving net zero carbon emissions by t- 2030. Our full ESG report can be found on our website at www.premiumbrandsholdings.com. We're now on Slides 8, 9 and 10 our organic growth is driven by our passion to innovate and disrupt the traditional food chain we're bringing great quality new and innovative products to market and customers and consumers are responding very favorably meat snacks charcuterie cooked protein value added seafood and sandwiches are shown on slides eight nine and ten are driving our organic growth and have a long runway to continue to grow for many years to come. I will now pass the presentation to our CFO, Will Kaludic,
3: who will update you on our financial results for the quarter. Will? Thanks George and welcome everyone. Before I begin, I would like to remind you that some of the statements made on today's call may constitute forward-looking information and our actual results may differ materially from what we discussed. Please refer to our MD&A for fiscal 2020 and for the second quarter of 2021 as well as other information on our website for a broader description of the risk factors that could affect our performance. I will now turn to slide 12 of the presentation uh, starting with our sales for the quarter. Uh, We generated $1.234 billion in sales which was an increase of 258 million or 26 percent from our sales in the second quarter of 2020. The main drivers of this were our general organic growth across a a range of products and I'll talk a bit more about that later. Recovery from the impacts of COVID in the second quarter of 2020, which was roughly 85 million dollars. Acquisitions which accounted for about $84 million of our growth and selling price inflation of roughly $58 million. Most of which was in our premium food distribution group, which has very dynamic pricing models and cost plus structures that allowed them to pass on the current inflationary uh, environment in terms of commodity costs very quickly. Um, Challenges in the quarter for our sales consisted mainly of the appreciation of the Canadian dollar and the impact of that on the translation of our US-based businesses. The impact of that was roughly $58 million on our sales for the quarter. On a COVID-normalized basis, our sales for the quarter would have been close to $1.3 billion, representing an increase of about $177 million over our Q2 2020 normalized for COVID sales of 1.1 billion. Um, again, the key drivers of that being the organic growth I talked about, uh, I'll talk about shortly. In terms of organic growth rates, on a year over year basis for the quarter, we generated total organic growth of close to 18%. But once you exclude the impacts of the COVID recovery, our overall organic organic growth was about 9.3%, and that consisted of very strong growth in our specialty food segment, which generated about 12.5% organic growth, and then a much lower growth rate in our premium food distribution group of about 2.7%, as that group continues to get impacted by uh, the COVID related impacts on the food service segment. Um, Turning to the next slide, which outlines all of our major growth initiatives across our six platforms, we've highlighted in yellow the key initiatives that contributed to the organic growth in the second quarter. You can see in our seafood segment, it was two key initiatives, our new SACO facility lobster processing facility in Maine and COVID recovery. Our distribu- distribution group was primarily COVID recovery. In our protein group, um, the, by far the single, single biggest driver were our US meat stack initiatives, which are going incredibly well, but also Italian charcuterie, cooked uh, protein, mainly our Concord chicken bites program and COVID recovery also contributed to the, the platforms for growth, organic growth. And in terms of our sandwich platform, um, it was firing on all cylinders with its various sandwich initiatives in QSR, retail and C-Store, as well as its charcuterie slicing initiatives all having stellar organic growth. Uh, you know, The last point on this slide is really the fact that a lot of the growth initiatives in play that we're working on, i.e. the ones that are not highlighted in yellow, will be future drivers of our growth. So we see a lot of runway ahead in, in, in terms of future growth. Turning to slide 14, uh, just a, a little bit on the COVID recovery in the quarter, which was about $85 million. You can see it was consisted of 90, uh, roughly $91 million of recovery of food service related sales and offset by a loss of some of the retail bump sales we saw in the second quarter of last year. Looking at our individual segments you can see most of the recovery was in our specialty food segment and in particularly the QSR segment which you see as that strong food service recovery and we saw some recovery in our premium foods distribution group as the food service uh, economy, the economy started reopening through the quarter and we saw a return to in demand in the food service segment. Turning to slide 15, the continuing COVID impact that re- was reflected in our normalized sales numbers I discussed earlier. You're looking at the chart on the left, you can see in Q2 2020 the dramatic impact COVID had on our business, $132 million in, in sales. Uh, For the second quarter of 2021, we estimate a continuing impact of roughly $48 million. Turning to the charts on the right-hand side of the slide, you can see most of that impact, that continuing impact is in our premium food distribution group with the uh, still returning or recovery of the food service segment to come uh, being the big, big component of that. And then a little bit of cruise line business we're expecting to come back in the later part of the year. And then down below in the specialty food segment, you can see the the ongoing impact is relatively small, a little over $16 million, and most of that is associated with the airline industry. Turning to slide 16, uh, our, our weekly sales trend, the gold bar being our weekly sales for 2019, the blue bar our weekly sales for 2020, and the green bar our weekly sales for 2021. You can see the momentum of the second quarter has continued strongly into the third quarter, and you know as the food service segment continues to open up, hopefully with the reopening of the economy, uh, that should be a, a even a further driver of that that momentum in our sales growth. Turning to slide 17. Uh, showing our, our for the last 11 years plus our TTM sales, annual sales, you can see our 2021 trailing 12-month sales of $4.4 billion. Nicely exceeded our 2020 normalized for COVID sales of $4.269 billion. Uh, And then looking at our 2021 trailing 12-month sales normalized for COVID, we would have been close to $4.6 billion in sales. With the release of our second quarter results, we also reinstated our annual sales and adjusted EBITDA guidance. For 2021, we are projecting total sales of between $4.7 billion and $4.85 billion. We've made the range relatively wide to allow for the uncertainty associated with the specific timing of the launch of a variety of new sales initiatives, mainly the items I showed earlier on the, the slide of all our growth initiatives. Turning to slide 18 and looking at our EBITDA performance, for the quarter we generated $112.2 million in EBITDA, an increase of 45 million or roughly 67% over second quarter of 2020. The key drivers of that were our sales growth, acquisitions including about $13.3 million in investment income from Clearwater, The reversal of COVID-related costs from the second quarter of uh, 2020, which was approximately $11 million, mainly consisting of supply disruptions, thank you bonuses, and plant inefficiencies in the second quarter of 2020. And then finally, also production efficiency improvements through automation and continuous improvement across mainly our protein group, but also our sandwich group. Offsetting those positive factors were six negative factors. First off, was our continued investment in plant sales and administration infrastructure to support both our current and future growth. Um, the biggest challenge of the quarter by far was commodity cost inflation, uh, net of selling price increases. For our premium food distribution group, it was a A slightly positive factor as they have very dynamic pricing, as I mentioned earlier, as well as cost plus pricing models. So they were able to pass on a lot of the commodity cost inflation experienced over the quarter very quickly. Uh, But it was a, a major impact on our specialty food segment and in particular our protein group, which because of the nature of their business and dealing with uh, a number of retailers, there's generally a a time lag associated with putting through the price increases needed to address the rising commodity cost environment. Uh, Also, there was some wage inflation in the the quarter, particularly in our U.S. sandwich businesses as they're addressing some of the tightness, labor tightness in that market. And then also the translation of our U.S businesses into Canadian dollars uh, was impacted by the stronger Canadian dollar and rounding out the list was a bit of incentive-based compensation, accrual increases and some general cost inflation. Normalizing for the impacts of COVID, our EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was $121 million, representing about a $14 million or 13% increase over our 2020 normalized EBITDA of about 107 million dollars. In terms of EBITDA margins for the quarter, it was 9.1%, which was below our expectations, primarily due to the commodity cost impacts. You know, normalizing for those, we would have been close or even above our our 10% target for the quarter. And similarly for the COVID-normalized number, our EBITDA margin was roughly 9.4%, and certainly would have been in excess of 10% normalizing for the commodity cost impacts in our protein group. Turning over to the next three, our next four slides just give you a sense of the trend in, in a number of key commodities purchased by our companies. The first slide on on slide 19 is shows a basket of pork products purchased by our our companies. Pork is the largest component for our protein platform. You can see the inflationary trend there. We've listed the demand and supply factors on the right hand side, but really the the key driver of the inflation has really been the reopening of the economy with the uh, food service segment in particular. The next slide shows a basket of beef products. Beef is the the largest component for our distribution platform, again, uh, a very inflationary environment going into Q3, Um, Q2 there was that unusual spike, but um, overall certainly a continued inflationary environment for beef. Next slide is lobster, which is a significant cost or input for our seafood group and lobster is certainly at absolute record highs right now, as as you can see from this chart. And then finally, the final chart is for salmon. Again, another key input for our seafood group. Um, 2019, there was some noise in the numbers from supply disruption. You know, the green line, which is 2021, has really been driven by demand and uh, reopening of the economy. So overall, again, you know, what made this quarter unique from a commodities perspective was you know, any one particular commodity uh, was inflationary, but never we've seen a situation where everything was, was so inflationary. Um, turning to slide 23, uh, a trend in our annual EBITDA, again, for the last 11 years and the trailing 12 months. Similar to our sales, you can see our trailing 12 months 2021 EBITDA is now in excess of our 2020 EBITDA normalizing for the impact of COVID and if you normalize our 2021 trailing 12 months EBDA for COVID we would have been you know in excess of 400 million in, in trailing 12 months EBITDA uh, for 2021 we are projecting an adjusted EBITDA margin of approximately nine percent we have been a bit bearish on this number on the basis that we expect to see some continued margin pressure on our protein platform businesses, again due to the time lag associated with them putting through price increases to a desk cost inflation as I mentioned earlier. Turning to slide 24, our earnings for the quarter were $53.5 million an increase of 32.3 million or 152% from the second quarter of 2020. Key driver of that was our EBDA growth offset with some associated incremental taxes and some amortization associated with the sale and leaseback transaction we did in the quarter. Normalizing for COVID, our earnings would have been 60.1 million for the quarter, representing a $14 million increase or roughly 31% over the 2020 COVID normalized number. In terms of EPS, for the quarter, we generated $1.23 per share in earnings per share, a 66 cents per share or 116% increase over the second quarter of 2020. On a normalized basis, our EPS was $1.38, representing a 15 cents per share or 12% increase from the normalized Q2 2020 number. Uh, Turning to slide 25, a little bit about Clearwater, um, certainly our most significant capital allocation we've made yet. Um, Clearwater continues to generate very strong momentum in their business, You can see their sales are nicely up uh, roughly 33 million or 31% from the second quarter of 2020 to 139 million. Key drivers of that, or the key driver of that really was the reopening of the economies, particularly in North America and in China. And that was offset a little bit by some uh, deflationary impact of the stronger Canadian dollar, as A lot of their sales are in US dollars, as well as some continuing impact on their wealth business due to some COVID related inventory issues in their key markets. From an EBITDA perspective, Clearwater generated $28 million for the quarter, up roughly $14 million or 96% from the second quarter of last year and certainly comparing it to 2019, uh, also strongly up from about $26 million in that year, so very solid performance by, by Clearwater driven by their organic growth and in particularly the selling price inflation being driven by the reopening of the economy because unlike uh, many of our other business because Clearwater is a harvester of many of its species and has a relatively fixed cost that inflationary impact pretty well flows directly to their EBDA so a very positive contributor to the quarter and then also some good strong operation efficiencies. generally relating to less at-sea days resulting from better catch rates. Offsetting that was the negative Canadian dollar, similar to the selling price inflation, the impact of the dollar flows straight down into their EBITDA, and so the the translation of the US dollar sales obviously was a negative. Also, for the products they do procure, those were higher driven by the commodity cost inflation, and then also some increased uh, incentive accruals. In terms of net earnings for the quarter Clearwater generated $2.5 million. our 50% equity interest in that was roughly $1.2 million, which is well ahead of our expected plan. Uh, we expected uh, negative uh, e- equity earnings for, for the quarter in our original business plan so Clearwater doing very well and nicely exceeding the, the plan built into our IRR modeling. Turning to page 26 in terms of capital allocation for the quarter, we allocated uh, just a little over $100 million in capital, Uh, $16.5 million of that was to our our 35 to 40% owned REIT structures, which associated with the sale and leaseback I mentioned earlier. And then we spent about $82 million on, or allocated $82 million to new capital projects namely the expansion of our Hempler's facility um, to add additional meat snack and premium processed meats capacity, Uh, expansion at our our Alberto's operation to increase their meat snack capacity, the addition of two automated lines in our sandwich plants both for capacity and production efficiency improvements, and then finally the expansion of our Buddy's sandwich plant in Minnesota. In terms of actual expenditures for the quarter, we spent roughly $44 million on IRR 15% based projects. Again, $16.5 million for the REIT and roughly $25 million for Project CapEx. And again, these are all projects that we expect to generate at least a 15% internal rate of return after tax, unlettered unlevered, and usually using a 10-year-plus business model. Subsequ- subsequent to the quarter, we allocated another $110 million for two acquisitions, one which closed subsequent to the quarter, MIRMAX, a Quebec-based food manufacturing and distribution business, and then Made Right, which we have a signed agreement and we're just going through uh, the uh, conditionary co- closing conditions before it, it can be completed. Uh, for, for the year to date so far, we have allocated roughly $931 million in capital and spent $725 million of that. Turning to slide 27, our liquidity, our balance sheet continues to remain strong with our senior debt-TBDA ratio at 2.1 to 1, which is below our long-term targeted range at 2.5 to 3 to 1, and our total debt-TBDA ratio of 3.4 to 1, Again, well below our long-term targeted range of four to four and a half to one. Our unused credit capacity at the end of the quarter was roughly $470 million, giving us great flexibility to continue on with our various capital allocation strategies. And turning to the final slide of the financial update, our free cash flow. We generated record free cash flow of the quarter of $238 million. This is roughly a $50 million increase over our 2020 free cash flow, uh, driven a lot by the drop off at of the second quarter of 2020, which was severely impacted by COVID. From a free cash flow per, per share, we generated $5.79 for the trailing 12 months, a record again a record level up 92 cents per share or roughly 19% from 2020. Our payout ratio for the trailing 12 months was 43.6%. If you normalize this for total shares outstanding versus weighted shares outstanding and our current dividend, new dividend rate, our payout ratio would have been 46.5%. With that, that concludes the financial update and I will now turn the call over to Christine. Christy?
1: At this time, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask an audio question, please press star then number one. Once again, that is star then number one for any audio questions. Our first question comes from the line of Derek Lassard. At Parker, our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. Mr. Lassard, your line is
4: open. Oh, sorry about that. I was on mute, guys. Um, it seems like uh, you guys did a, a great job, or at least you were pretty successful in, in pushing through some price. Um, just wondering, number one, um, if you've experienced um, any customer pushback, and number two, I was just wondering, do you think the, the additional pricing actions that you've taken are going to cover Um, most of the inflation in the system right now.
2: Yeah, Derek, you have to remember a couple of things. As we said uh, during the last uh, conference call, um, the majority of our business is um, either cost-plus, you know, for example, our our sandwich business is generally cost-plus, and um, the uh, food service, the premium distribution side of our business, tends to be... Uh, um, very dynamic pricing tends to be very dynamic right so so again a big part of our business generally is not impacted by uh, commodity inflation that much Um, as Will mentioned the one area where we faced uh, challenges was the protein uh, group and you know generally speaking uh, we've faced inflationary trends in the past and you know in the case of our protein group, um, we've demonstrated that we can move prices up. We just have to abide by, um, you know, the, the notice uh, periods that we have, we have to give our, our different customers, generally from 30 to 90 days. Um, and uh, so in general terms, we feel comfortable that, you know, our price increases are sticky and that um, our margins in the protein division will, will normalize.
4: Okay, and that's helpful. And, and and how do you guys feel, or what's your view on the um, on the on the current outlook of or, of the inflationary pressure?
2: Well, I, I, our sense again, it depends on the different uh, commodities, uh, uh, Derek. And, and as you know, uh, you know, there's a number of factors that uh, that drive the commodity pricing. Uh, to tell you the truth, we don't spend a lot of time trying to predict uh, the market. Um, in general terms, we you know we're disciplined. We we follow uh, commodity pricing, and um, you know we are um, you know at the premium end of the spectrum. We would like to think that uh, consumers buy our products for reasons other than price, and um, you know generally speaking, we try to. Run our business in a a, as dynamic an environment as possible when it comes to pricing. So we tend to push uh, prices up when commodities go up, and then bring them down, of course, as commodities come down.
4: Okay. And one last one for me, Um, just maybe if you can comment on uh, the the labor labor situation, um, how you're dealing with it in your various uh, facilities uh, throughout North America
2: yeah so labor uh is uh a challenge for um uh, a lot of our uh facilities a lot of our businesses it's it's a challenge for a lot of industries uh today in in uh in north america um you know again you know we are dealing with these uh issues um uh effectively um there's not a lot of Labor around, uh, willing to, to work these days. Um, you know, in some cases, we're working diligently to encourage the different governments to allow more immigration into, uh, into North America. Um, we are, you know, different businesses have different, uh, initiatives, uh, um, you know, uh, community engagement in in certain communities that we rely on for for labor again various initiatives in place as i you know i said earlier very dynamic um it's a challenge uh for uh, everybody and uh and we're managing um, you know it's uh it, it's it's you know during the quarter we've 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 turned away um business opportunities because uh, ultimately we have to make sure that uh, we don't overwork and we don't overstress our existing labor. Um hopefully that will pass with um with uh with covid I guess and uh you know uh the the labor uh, the labor uh, challenges will will diminish.
4: Okay, thanks gentlemen.
2: Thanks uh
5: Derek.
1: Your next question comes on line of Martin Landry. Hi,
5: good morning. Good morning.
1: Good
5: morning. morning my first question is on your uh, distribution business um you you do mention in in your press release that um it's been impacted by um you know a decline in live lobster sales at uh, at retailers um, you know wondering if you can discuss this a little bit more um this dynamic and and more importantly has this continued post quarter end
3: yeah so so what the impact was on what we call featuring, Martin, where the retailer takes the product and, and it's a bit of a loss leader for them and and but drives volume or people into their stores. And because, the, as I mentioned earlier, lobster prices were at such record highs, retailers cut back on a lot of that type of featuring. So it really is a, a tra- temporary or transitory impact. But the interesting part and the upside in it is You know, Ready, which is the primary business that was impacted, continues their procurement. You know, the lobsters don't go away. And so they've actually positioned themselves quite nicely for the back half of the year by putting away a lot of high quality product, which hopefully will will generate some nice sales opportunities with the seasonality of that product, particularly in China. So, uh yeah, it was a, a negative in the quarter, but we're optimistic in oh, for the year it's going to be a, a positive factor.
5: Okay. Thank you. And then uh overall, um you know, we're wondering what you've seen so far in Canada. Ontario was was shut down for most of uh, of of Q2, uh but now it's fully reopened. So, have you have you seen a similar uptick um, in Ontario or, or in Canada than, than what you've seen from the reopening in, in the U.S.
2: Uh, definitely, uh, particularly um, in the latter part of the uh, second quarter, that was part of uh, what drove our, our sales growth. Of course, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, as um, economies open up. Uh, in Ontario in Quebec in BC Alberta et etc we we tend to to see that uh, almost uh, immediately with regards to um, our our food service focused uh, businesses so June for us was was very very strong when it came to uh, the food service channel
5: and would you say that uh, you know for for this summer are have things returned to a near normal level for 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 business?
2: Uh, Based on the uh, the June uh, trends that we saw and some of the current trends that we see, yes. Okay. Yeah.
3: The the big question, the big question mark there, though, Martin, will be, uh, you know, food services different elements to it, and a key driver of food service in the fourth quarter are large events, and Mm -hmm. you know that's still a big uncertainty unknown, right, and how that's going to play out. So that that's that's the part that is a big question mark still. Yeah,
5: understood. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mark.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Stephen McLeod.
6: Thank you, good afternoon, guys.
3: Hey, Stephen.
6: Hi, Hi. Um, I just had a a couple of questions that I wanted to follow up on. on the organic growth drivers, well on that, on that chart on slide 13, you have all those um, all those uh, growth initiatives that are uh, yet to yet to play out. I'm just curious if you can give a little bit of color and it might be uh, uh, a difficult question, but just a little bit of color around like the timing of those growth initiatives and even if there's a way to quanti- to quantify what what it might all mean in terms of revenues.
3: yeah well, well we're not giving specific you know a lot of this stuff is 2022 stuff. Um, and we're not talking about Guidance for 22, but you know, again, it's a, it's a broad range, Stephen, all these different things are different timings. Some of them are COVID related impacts, you know, that have delayed things. Some are just, it takes time to develop these new concepts and brands and products. So it's a real wide gamut of factors.
2: Uh, generally, uh, Stephen, driving towards meeting our our goal in 2023, as we as we've stated.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay.
3: Okay. That makes and, sense. and you know, again, the real the point we just wanted to say, like, there's you know, meat snacks, sandwiches, circuitry, um some of our seafood initiatives that have been driving our growth are just a part of the formula of what's going to get us to that six billion dollar number. There's a lot of other stuff in the pipeline
6: right lots of lots of levers to pull on okay
3: exactly okay
6: that's yeah that's great um and then uh with respect to the margin outlook for 2021 um you know just given the the inflationary backdrop um i'm just wondering like you know you have a point estimate for a nine percent margin but can you just talk a little bit about what the what the potential goalposts would be around you know exceeding that number or potentially falling short of that number
3: uh, again, you know outside of that number, really, our focus is twenty twenty three and exceeding that ten percent target we set for ourselves. And as we showed last quarter, you know we're we're well 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 into the plan and and are very bullish on meeting or exceeding that target. Okay, uh, okay. You know, okay. sales sales deleveraging is a key part of that. you know, in the short term, as I mentioned for the quarter, the impact of the commodities, which are for us is completely transitory, you know we would have exceeded that ten percent number for the quarter, and then you know it's it's just a question of sales deleveraging from there. okay, okay,
6: that's great um And then maybe just finally, um you know you announced a couple of acquisitions in the quarter. Um, just curious is it is it safe to assume that we we assume margins of those deals are in line with the segments that they're going to fall into? um and and are you able to provide any color around the the, the more specific color on the timing of closing
3: yeah that in terms of closing you know it, it's really an unknown because it's a process of going through getting consents and things like that involve third parties so you you really can't control that you know we're optimistic it's going to be this quarter the third quarter, but you know you can never say for sure. But in terms of margins, yes, that's a very fair comment. Uh, they're very reflective of the segments they're in.
6: Okay. Okay, that's great. Thanks, guys, and congratulations. Thank and you. Thanks,
2: Steve.
1: Your next question comes from the line of David Newman. Hey,
2: guys. Hey, David.
1: Yeah, I've got a
7: sort of a 30,000 foot question. When you think about when you went into COVID, I think, George, made the comment that, you know, you you have food at home and it's a bit of a trade-off between the two. But we're living in this strange uh, hybrid world where people are, you know, obviously saved a lot of money through the pandemic. Is there going to be a period that you think there could be above normal growth for a couple of years because of the hybrid world that we live in where people, you know, obviously food away from home, they want to enjoy going out for dinner? But at the same time, because they do work from home uh, for, you know, more days, that they're going to have, you know, larger baskets, more premium quality products and things like that.
2: Yeah, my my view, again, good observations, uh, David. Uh, My view, and that's been my view for the last uh, 20 years, is that premiumization is here to stay. You know, consumers are, getting a lot smarter, they're, they're uh, reading the ingredient decks, they, uh, they demand better quality, they demand better eating experiences in general um, and that's the trend that we've benefited from um, uh, as you know and, and you know you followed us for a long time so and we've been talking about premiumization. I think that uh, COVID uh, um, has accelerated the premiumization of, of the food space, and and um, I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing such robust uh, demand for a lot of our premium products, including uh, premium seafood uh, as well. Um, in regards to um, consumer patterns, you know, it just depends on on COVID and and uh, whether COVID is going to be to be uh, uh, leaving us. <laughs> You know, who knows? Um, I think that uh, we are seeing uh, a tremendous amount of pent-up demand by consumers to go out and and consume food outside of home uh, today, as, as we speak. And and uh, you know, assuming the, the the consumer feels confident to go out, I think that that trend will continue. So we are predicting a very robust. Uh, demand and we are seeing very robust uh, demand in uh, QSR, uh, white tablecloth, and uh, you know uh, uh, casual dining. All, all these channels today are doing extremely well uh, as com- uh, consumers get more confident in terms of going out.
7: So as you go towards your target of six billion, six hundred million 600 million EBITDA, which now looks like very achievable. Do you think for the next couple of years, you could be over indexing on that sort of four to six percent o v g r that you guys forecast
3: uh absolutely david um i again you know our expectation in the the short term being sort of the one to two years out is is certainly built into our you know projections that we shared with the market to be at, you know above that four to six percent range and then we sort of can certainly Modeled out for twenty twenty three per six percent but uh, again we're certainly well positioned to exceed it
2: yeah my my comment uh, David is that as I've mentioned on previous uh, calls in in the past we're not that concerned about demand in general um, you know um, we have great innovation, consumers are looking for these wonderful innovative uh, convenient uh, to consume uh, products, and and so and there's a lot of demand uh, from our customers and, and consumers for our products, and you're seeing that in our uh, organic growth rates. Uh, you know, we are concerned, of course, with you know supply chain disruptions and labor shortage issues and all of those things. Um, but but you know demand uh, for our products is robust.
7: Yeah, and if I look out, um, food services coming back, but I think you guys flagged uh, like 70, million, $80 million just on airlines and, and cruise lines, which I know the forward bookings for both airlines, uh, transfer, transfer, traffic at the airports has picked up. You've got cruise line bookings that look very strong, according to Carnival and Royal Caribbean. As I, I look at that business, that could be, uh, you know, 2022. Is that kind of how you're, you're thinking about it?
2: Yeah, I think those are valid observations, uh, David, again, depending on uh, what happens with the pandemic, of course, but but absolutely, we're starting to see, uh, you know, uh, uh, some movement with regards to those uh, channels.
3: Yeah, and, and with airlines, David, we're actually a little more bullish. Uh, Cruise Line is a 2022 story for us, but because um, there's a lot of inventory in the system from when the, the ships have to shut down, a lot of frozen inventory, but for the airline industry, we're we're slightly bullish on Q3. We're seeing a real strong interest there in revamping programs and and uh, you know getting back to the way things used to be, at least in sort of the business and first class sections that that we service.
7: Perfect. And last one for me, guys. How much do you think you may have left on is either deferred or lost on the table or off the table, I should say, uh, just given the labor bottlenecks or pinch points. How material?
3: Uh, It's a material number. Um, You know, it's a tough one. Uh, You know, we tried to actually estimate it, David, but the problem is our sandwich group was in the strange situation of they were sitting down with their customers and having to negotiate how much they could provide the customer, and the customer just said, we'll take what you can make. Um, so it was an environment where we know we could have sold a lot more product if we didn't have the labor bottlenecks, but what that number is, it, it, it's just too hard to, to put a specific to.
2: I'll give you a number, David, <laughs> but, but again, I, I, as Will said, it, it's not based on anything hard. I know we've we've said no to a few customers, I know we've put some customers on our location, etc., but probably between 25 and $50 million.
7: Okay, very good. Excellent, onward and upward, guys.
0: Thank you, David.
1: Your next question comes on the line of George Dumit.
8: Yeah, good morning, guys. Congrats on managing a, a pretty tough backdrop. Um, and and my question was around around the labor piece, so, so the constraint there. So, thanks for providing uh, that twenty to fifty million uh, number. But maybe following in on there, just wondering, George, what gives you confidence that that I guess some of this could be structural and and we can get those twenty to thirty million plus revenues um kind of in the back half of the year anything you're seeing there
2: well you have to sort of remember George that we've got a lot of uh automation um, and robotics types of initiatives uh particularly in the uh sandwich platform um, and and those uh, those initiatives are going really well um, you know uh, it, it you know part of we've talked about uh, some of the competitive advantages of our um, sandwich platform and and part of that advantage is the fact that they provide labor saving solutions for their customers right and so if you if you assume that that a lot of the qsrs and a lot of the uh the restaurant uh, uh restaurants out there are having labor issues and they do uh, they're looking for, uh, um, uh, labor solutions, which our sandwich platform is well positioned to provide to them. Um, so, so, you know, it shouldn't surprise anybody that they're getting lots of opportunities. Uh, ultimately, mid to longer term, we feel that automation will give us those type of solutions, right? And, uh, you know, we're heavily investing in automation and robotics and those type of things to get it, to get us there uh, the the generation two lines the generation three lines um, we're actually in the process of um, uh, um, uh, looking at um, uh, another uh, sandwich facility um, uh, fully uh, automated facility to uh, to help us keep up with um, with uh, with the growth, so so automation would give us those solutions.
3: And then, okay. and then George, I'd, I'd add in the shorter term too. We're we're cautiously optimistic that both in Canada and the U.S. as the subsidies go away, immigration opens up. That should help in the, the more near term with with some of the labor issues. But like I say, being cautiously optimistic
8: there. Okay, great. And just to follow up on your comment, George, on maybe another sandwich plant, like, can you talk a little bit about where, what end market, what geography, um, what would channel uh, you'd like to see that plant servicing?
2: Well, uh, you know, again, our it's preliminary at this point, uh, George, but it does reflect the fact that uh, you know we are seeing a lot of a lot of demand and a lot of opportunities in the in the segment. Our, Our thinking is that it would be near. Uh, one of our uh, plants in the U.S. to to make sure that uh, you know they share uh, uh, resources and management teams. So it probably will be, you know, uh, maybe in Columbus, maybe in,
8: in Phoenix. Okay, thanks thanks for that. Uh, looks like pork is our kind of our biggest um, exposure to ability to pass through, given that it's predominantly in, in the protein segment. Um, it's it's had a really strong move uh, quarter end. So I know there's a lot of into that nine percent margin guidance, but can you maybe talk to our ability to maybe stock up in terms of inventory, free buying or maybe pass through price before the move any Any comfort you can give us on kind of a, a big move in and that input
3: yeah that that's a tough one, George, because it's pretty hard to go to our customers and put price increase through in anticipation of something, so you're generally always going to see a lag. And, like George says, we're confident we we have no uh, concerns that we won't get the margins back to where they are, but you're always going to have that short term short term impact and you know again, I mentioned earlier when we talked about our guidance for the year and being a bit bearish on that nine percent you know that that's partly what's baked into it is is our concern with the trends we're seeing in pork and uh you know the fact that there is you know if it does continue on there will there'll be some lag there.
8: Okay, and just one last one for me. I saw um, kind of a medium-sized acquisition um, in the seafood area in, in your exhibit. Um, it seems that you're kind of, um, it's been there for a bit. I think it's in the past stages. So I just wanted to get your thoughts, George, on what's the ideal acquisition in seafood? Is it is it ground fish, like something different, or maybe would you double down on shellfish? Um, just wondering your views in terms of what, what would you like to add to the PB ecosystem?
2: Yeah. Again as I mentioned before uh, George for us it's really about um, uh, I- improving our market share in terms of uh, some of the species we're in uh both in terms of uh, clear water and uh, and uh, premium brands um, you know I think you know that uh, you know we've invested a lot in in the lobster, uh, lobster space and and uh, and uh in the value-added lobster uh, space as well and and doing well there and um you know again it's just just uh the you know in in terms of you know have to look at the species we're in um um, and and you know hopefully finding opportunities where we um we increase our market share in those segments um we also have plans for the west coast uh here um you know we have a couple of uh uh, seafood businesses on the West Coast benefiting from the uh, West Coast uh, fisheries and we've got some initiatives in place uh, and uh, we are in some discussions to uh, to um, to grow that business by, by acquisition.
8: Okay, got it. Thanks for your answers. Good luck. Thank you, George.
1: Your next question comes from the line of John Zamparo.
9: Thank you. Good morning. I wanted to ask hey, about the, the ESP Hey, I want to ask about the ESG report and the net zero uh, emissions goal. And and I appreciate the additional color on the topic, but but I wanted to hone in on the financial implications of this. And I'm wondering if if you can talk about how you plan to communicate um, these improvements or these changes to customers. And and can you give some broad goalposts on what the implementation costs might be or what the cadence of that might be? And and ultimately, is that baked into your
3: 2023 uh, outlook as well? Yeah, so in terms of uh twenty twenty three certainly you know, the next two years uh we've set as our target is developing a, a very specific plan to get to our twenty thirty. You know, in, in terms of just like you know, if if we, we took the easy way and just bought carbon credits or something like that, say John, you know, you're you're looking at an impact of two to three million dollars. So so not a materially and and that's kind of a worst case scenario our, our objective is continuous improvement working with our businesses on how to reduce their energy usage and and we've seen some great ideas you know and that will be a key factor which will bring that cost down over time uh, but we we don't see it as something that's going to materially impact our 2023 targets at all if anything like i say a lot of these initiatives ultimately result in cost savings. Um they're just, you know, and if you have a chance to read the SG report, you know, we the message comes through several times that so much of this stuff just makes good business sense and that's how we're approaching a lot of our energy efficiency savings initiatives.
9: Okay, thank you for that. Um the, the press release referenced uh a term It said sudden shifts in demand i'm just wondering if you can elaborate on on what categories this was in in particular and how that impacted the quarter yeah john it's,
4: it's generally
2: um the uh the, the change of of demand from from one channel to to the other for example if uh the economies open up and uh the, um, the restrictions go away. Uh, all of a sudden, you're seeing uh, uh, sudden uh, and abrupt uh, changes in, in demand uh, towards the uh, QSR, uh, uh, white tablecloth, uh, C store, uh, etc. So, you know, the times we live in, you know, usually, you know, we're used to gradual changes in demand based on seasonality. Um, uh, today, as we speak, uh, changes in demand happen because of uh, the, the removal of, of uh, COVID-related restrictions, right? So, so, when that happens, demand comes back
9: extremely strongly. Got it. Okay, thank you. And then uh, a couple of housekeeping questions. Um, first, on the cash flow statement, uh, you spent about twenty-two million dollars in the quarter in advances to associates. Is that going to Clearwater, or, or is that something else?
3: Yeah, a portion of that is is Clearwater, absolutely, and the um, the accrued interest.
9: Okay, thank you. And then, uh, lastly, working capital. Um, it's a relatively material drag in the quarter. I know this bounces around uh, year to year and i assume a good portion of that was the fact that you're not collecting on the clear water interest um but is there any other color you can you can provide on this
3: yeah so so yeah it, it, you you can't compare it to 2020 john 2020 was a bit of an anomaly so if you go back to 2019 and you look at the year to date um it it sort of follows the same trend that you see year to date and and again year to date's a better indicator cuz you know things can easily shift from quarter to quarter Um, And and the difference between the trend between 2019 and 2021 year-to-date is really two factors. One, it's it's exactly what you mentioned, the Clearwater accrual on the interest. And then the second is just general growth in the business. Okay,
9: understood. That's helpful. That's it for me. Thank you.
3: Thanks, John. Thanks, John.
1: We do have a question that just coming to queue from Sabat Khan.
0: Right, thanks Anna good afternoon. I um, just want to quickly chat Hello. on the margin I um just want to quickly chat on the margin guide for the year which is at 9%. percent you know, we just comparing I guess to 2019 pre clear water times. Um looks like the operating margin or the operating segment margins are probably a bit lower than 2019 just want to understand, is that really just a commodity headwind or is it just because it's a bit of a transitional year with COVID? I um, just want to understand kind of the bridging of the gap or just what the impacts are.
3: Yeah, it's commodities, Saba. You know, I, I, again, sales deleveraging has been helping to offset some of the commodities impact. Otherwise, you know, if we've been at the same sales levels as 2019, uh, you would have seen a much more negative impact on the margins, but it, it is definitely commodities.
0: Okay, and then so I guess the ten percent
3: guide sort
0: of in, by twenty three implies that the you know, commodities are probably at more normalized level, and I don't well, would there be need for some additional operating leverage in there as well?
3: Yeah, in terms of the the twenty twenty three objective, again, we you know in a normalized commodity environment based on the expectations, the modeling we've shared with the market in the past, we expect to exceed that that ten percent quite nicely. Um, giving us some flexibility that if if there is sort of some sort of commodity issues, we should be able to absorb that and still hit our 10 percent target.
0: Okay, and then just uh, one quick one. I think back when the IFRS 16 came in, the quarterly impact was about I think eight million dollars. I just want to check what that might be today, given the sales these back recently or any other changes in
3: the business. Sorry, sorry. Can you 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 cut out there towards the end, Saba, Can you say that again?
0: Yep, just the uh, the IFRS sixteen uh, impact on the EBITDA line. I think when the impact started in twenty nineteen, it was about eight million a quarter. Would you have the current number where that might be today?
3: Um, I, again, you can pull that out of the statement of cash flow. Um, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it, you know, I I would guess it's probably today in the. 13 14 million dollar range, but uh, again, that falls out of the cash flow statement. And I I can walk through with that with you if you want after the call. That'd
0: be great. Thanks very much for that. That's it for me. Okay,
1: thank you. Your next question comes to mind. Kyle McSee. Hi,
4: guys. Just one quick one. So, specific to the Clearwater lobster business, I know the integration is well underway with your lobster business. I'm just looking for an update on. When you will start flowing the entire Clearwater business through your P&L full consolidation, you know, c- contrasting the, the equity method for the rest of the Clearwater business. I know that was on the comment, just looking for a timing update when we'll see that.
3: Yeah, sure. And 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 Kyle. So in terms of the Clearwater lobster business, the commitment or the structuring is we will be getting 10 million of EBITDA out of out of Clearwater to compensate us for for that business. In terms of the specific structure of that, uh, we're still modeling out what the best day, way is. So, you know our ready seafood team and our clear water teams have been working together on what parts make the most sense, what parts should stay, what parts should be tr- moved over so that that process is is ongoing and it, it kind of got delayed a little bit by the chaos in the industry over the last three or four months, so you know we still want to have that issue dealt with before the end of the year, but I, I unfortunately I don't have much more of an update for you on it than that.
2: But the coordination uh of the lobster business between the two groups um uh, uh Kyle is going really well very well.
4: Got it. Okay. And and I guess it's fair to say your your guidance for the year would not include that ten million of UBDA or, or the,
3: you the, know, the back contribution. No, no, you are correct.
4: Okay. All right, that's it. Thanks guys.
2: Thanks,
3: Kyle Thanks Kyle.
1: Mr. Palalego, or do you have any closing remarks?
2: I'd like to thank everybody for attending and have a great summer.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's teleconference. You may disconnect at this time.